through. We're going through the parables of Jesus. And in this particular one, the pearl of great value, Jesus is essentially playing a very profound game of would you rather. He tells them this story of a pearl merchant, someone who buys and sells pearls, and therefore crucially knows how much they're worth. And this guy sees an incredible pearl, one that is just unrivaled in beauty, and he knows how valuable it is, so he sells everything he has to buy it. And Jesus teaches this little story to communicate to his followers how valuable the kingdom of heaven is. And the question he's asking is, would you rather the life you currently possess or the kingdom of heaven? And he's not just asking the question. He's kind of doing the thing you do when you're like trying to get your kids to have the healthy one. Do you want the chocolate or do you want the apple? He's really sort of suggesting this is the one. The kingdom of heaven is the thing that's really valuable because he's, he's comparing it to the pearl of great value. He's trying to teach us that this is the thing that's really important. And that's the one he wants us to choose. But we all know things are not as easy as that. It's never quite as easy to make a decision because when we make decisions, even any game of would you rather, we filter them through our values and we have our criteria to determine what is ultimately worth the most to us. So there are two things I want to do today. Firstly, I want us to understand what Jesus means by the kingdom of heaven, because as a concept, it's quite complicated, but it's also one of the most prevalent things that Jesus talks about, so useful for us to understand. But secondly, I want us to check that the scales that we use to determine value in our lives are fit for purpose. Are they helping us to make the best decisions, particularly in regards to how we relate to God? Um, so let's look at that first question. What does Jesus mean by the kingdom of heaven? It's also often referred to as the kingdom of God. I'm going to use it pretty interchangeably, but they, they generally mean the same thing. Um, the kingdom of God is what the world looks like when God is held up as king. Now, your opinion of God will massively impact how you see this. But as a basic starting point, every image that Jesus uses to help us to get the kingdom of God is beautiful, is compelling, it's profound. So as we've heard over the last few weeks, as we've done this series in the parables, um, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed that starts off very, very small, but grows to be a mighty tree that all the birds of the air want to come and land in. Um, another thing Jesus describes it as is like a wedding feast, uh, which would, for the people in that time would have been the most lavish, luxurious, incredible thing they'd ever attended. That would be the highlight of their year. The kingdom of God is also compared to a treasure in a field. The kingdom of God is like the yeast that makes the bread rise. And here, the kingdom of God is like a fine pearl. So that's, we're trying to get an image of something of value, of worth, of beauty. Now, the two main elements of the kingdom of God is there is the part of it that was brought about by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Through his life, Jesus sets an example of what life in this kingdom can look like. The way he lived is he's saying this is the sort of standard, this is the way it goes in the kingdom of heaven. Um, by his death, he breaks the chains that tie us to our old ways of life, the things that stop us from being able to live in that way. And through his resurrection, he sets us free to live kind, generous, sacrificial good lives that are in keeping with this social framework of the kingdom of God. So that's the first element, the things that's already been taken place through Jesus. But the other element of the kingdom of God, Jesus calls the kingdom that is to come. And I genuinely think this is one of the most beautiful and brilliant things that Jesus does in all his teaching. He talks about the eventual fruit of his life, death and resurrection, how it will someday be worked out, what this might look like. And this is often where we get our understanding of heaven. When we talk about it, when we have that little picture in the back of our mind when someone talks about heaven, it comes from all of Jesus' teaching on it. And it is 
not like an ethereal, cloudy place in the sky that probably is where our mind goes initially, but it's a very concrete social structure. Like it is a, it is a set of, of way of life that Jesus is putting into place. And Jesus talks about the kingdom that is yet to come as a place with no more evil, no more injury, no more depression, no more racism, no more death. And that is what we're moving towards. That is what Jesus is drawing people into through his teaching. His promise is that one day he will return and fulfill it in its entirety. So there's this kingdom that has already started by what Jesus has done. And then there is this sort of vision that we are moving towards um, through what, he's, what Jesus is doing ongoing through his work in the world. And I love hearing Jesus teach about the kingdom of heaven because it's like nothing else. It's not a revolution where we violently overthrow some oppressor and then end up becoming just like them. It is a world where we willingly become servants and suffer for others. And in so doing, we create a completely different kind of world. And his question hits us, would you rather live the life you currently live or the kingdom of God? It's a challenge. So, sounds great. Lots of nice things in there, lots of positives about the kingdom of heaven. But as we said, we really determine value against criteria. We can only say something is valuable in comparison to something else. So let's now come and look at the criteria we're using to evaluate the kingdom of heaven. Now, to do this, I want you to think about going to the shops. Imagine you walk into the shops and you want to buy an apple. Now, there would have been a time where the only question you needed to ask was, this is the apple. How do I have enough money to buy it? That would have been at one point. Now we go into the shops. So that's the first thing. So really a big question is money. That is a big criteria for a lot of us. How, you know, money. How is this going to affect my money? The second question might be, okay, well, now I look around, there's a lot of apples here, lots of different kinds of apples. Which apple do I prefer? Which one do I enjoy the most? Which one's going to give me the best experience? Okay, so there might be the second thing. First one might be money. The second one might be our own personal experience, our comfort, our pleasure. Okay? Now, it's gone a lot further than that. I don't know about you guys. When I go in the shop now, I'm filled with this kind of moral dilemma. I want to buy an apple, but I'm there going, oh, my goodness, how many pesticides have been used in this, the making of this apple? How, many, how far has it had to travel? What impact has the apple had on the growth of, in, the growth of the apple had on the environment? Does it come in plastic packaging? How well treated were the people who grew the apple? There's a lot to go on there. And I think that's probably the other criteria that a lot of us carry. There's money. There's our own personal experience. But there's also the impact that it will have on the world around us. Okay, so those are three things that really um, impact us. And I want to start with those when it comes to evaluating the kingdom of heaven when we want to try and help with that would-you-rather choice of would we rather the life we currently live or the kingdom of heaven. So the first one, money. Will the kingdom of heaven make you rich? Well, maybe the point of the pearl story is that you sell everything you have, you buy this valuable pearl and that you can eventually sell for more. Maybe somehow we give financially into the kingdom of God and in God's grace we end up richer than we were before. Sounds lovely. Sounds quite theological, sounds in line with the character of God, his generosity and his goodness, but that's not really, there's nothing about that in this story. Because the merchant buys the pearl because the pearl is valuable. The merchant wants the pearl, nothing else after that. And what Jesus is saying is that the kingdom of heaven is worth all the money, all the things that the guy is able to pay for it. Now, in another part of the Bible, when Jesus speaks to a rich young ruler, the guy asks him, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus' bit of advice to him is to sell everything he has, give to the poor, and to follow Jesus. Another time Jesus says, it is harder for a rich person to get into the kingdom of heaven than it is for a camel to get through the eye of a needle. Jesus had no wealth, no property. The people he called were from poor backgrounds, and those who may have been rich left their wealth behind. When he met Zacchaeus, um, one of the stories you read about in the Bible, he's a guy who had betrayed his people and his cultural identity to be able to acquire wealth. 
The guy was so impacted by one dinner with Jesus that he looked at everything he had and said, look, Lord, here and now, I, if, uh, I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anyone of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. A whole life devoted to money and one meeting with Jesus, and he starts to shed it like dead skin. Now, the most exciting Christians I know are the ones who are willing to give radically and generously, whether that's to local church or to charity. They look at how much they spend on holidays, on savings, on education, on their houses, on alcohol, on experiences. And then they look at the difference the money that is making, both physically and spiritually, to the neediest people in society, or the difference their money can make um, to transform a place, to make it look more like the kingdom of heaven. They see that, and they make a value call. It's not even a matter of generosity. They go, which one do I want more? I'd rather have the kingdom than the cash. Because you can't want a more equitable society and at the same time want to be richer than the people around you. That doesn't make sense. You can't have those two things. What I love is this church has an incredible history of both financial generosity and loving and serving the local area. And it's done, I mean, when I talk to people about the history of the church, it's amazing. Some of the stories, some of the incredible things they've done, the way they've served and loved people way before my time here. Um, But currently, some of the stuff we try to do, we do this by meeting physical needs. We've got our community cafe. We've got a toddler's group. We've got a group supporting new mums. We're launching dance lessons as a way to connect with local families and support them. But we also aim to bring about the kingdom by meeting spiritual needs, by making our Sunday meetings a place where people can connect and encounter with the king of heaven. We want that stuff we think is incredibly valuable, not just the physical needs, but also people holistically, spiritually meeting with God. And we want to do so much more. I mean, one of the things that I'm really passionate about is the youth work that we do here. Um, We have an amazing youth club. We meet once a month. Um, And it's amazing because it allows our youth team to build supportive relationships with our young people and to communicate how valuable and important they are in the eyes of God. Now, our young people, some of them here, are very funny. They are very clever, they're articulate, but they face challenges that, frankly, like most of us have never had to go through. Some of the challenges they experience with social media, with the this kind of ways the school is done, different challenges they're facing are incredibly difficult. And I would love for the church to stand with them and their friends and their community around them as they grow and as they develop. Now, if that means giving up a Friday night, if it means spending a bit of money on a few pizzas and some popcorn each week, then it's very quickly a small price to pay to see the kingdom of God come in their lives in their schools, in the future that they're building. And just as an aside, if any of you would like to get involved in the youth work, uh, it would be fantastic. We actually are, we're growing from having it doing it once every month to start doing it once every two weeks in September. Um, and so we, to do that, we need more helpers and more resources and more finance, things like that. So if there's something you'd like to come and get involved with, we'd really love to have you. So come and chat to me afterwards and I can tell you a bit more about what it involves. Um, but it is exciting because it's a value call about, is this, do I love this kingdom of God that Jesus is talking about? And when it comes to the question of, will the kingdom of heaven make you rich? Well, the answer is a pretty resounding no. And so if that's the scale you're using, would you rather the life you currently live or the kingdom of heaven? Actually, you know what? Stick with the life you currently live. The kingdom of heaven is not going to sort you out on that front. Okay? This this talk is not going to go quite the way I kind of, you know, like straightforward. Okay? We're going to go around the houses and we're going to get there eventually. So stick with me. Okay? So the next question is happiness and comfort. Will the kingdom of heaven make you happier? Will the kingdom of heaven make you more comfortable? Now, this one is a bit more nuanced because it depends, obviously, on what makes you happy, what brings you comfort. If it's family, is it holidays, is it having a comfortable home? In Luke's account of Jesus' life, uh, he records an event where Jesus turns to a group of followers and says, if you come to me but will not leave your family, you cannot be my follower. 
You must love me more than your father, mother, wife, children, brothers and sisters, even more than your own life. Whoever will not carry the cross that is given to them when they follow me cannot be my follower. I find verses like that very hard. That hits me when I read that. Like I start to think, am I, am I just playing at Christianity? Do I even get this? Because the way that Jesus challenges his followers is, is pretty intense. And there's something pretty powerful and pretty amazing here. I mean, there's a reason we have the symbol of a cross at the center of Christianity. It's firstly a reminder of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us to give us life and to bring us into his kingdom. But it's also the ongoing posture of that kingdom and participation in it. It is a reminder that following Jesus will be uncomfortable and painful and sacrificial. Like, I follow Jesus for over 20 years now, and I still do not know how to live out that line. You must love me more than your father, mother, wife, children, brothers, and sisters, even more than your own life. Like, there are so many lines like that in Jesus' teaching. They make me so uncomfortable. For a lot of people, family is like the one sacred thing we have left. You know, you don't make fun of someone's family. You know, you don't, a good person looks after their family. But Jesus just says, choose me. Choose my kingdom even over your family. I don't know how to love Jesus more than my wife. I don't know how to love Jesus more than my, king, my kids. But I do try on occasion. And every time I do, I, I like to think my kids come off better. That um, I'm a better dad when I love Jesus more. I'm a better husband. When I try to live more in the kingdom of God, I'm more contented, and my kids and wife receive the benefit of that. But one of the ways I try and grow my relationship with God um, is that I, and participate in his kingdom is making time to pray every morning. I say try very clearly with that. That's not something I manage every morning, but it's something I do hold as a real value and something important. Since having kids, this has got a lot harder as they uh, like to get up a lot earlier than me, and they want me to always to play with them, which, you know, is lovely. And I have to make the call that actually some days I'm not going to do that. And instead, I need to prioritize my time with God. I try and do it while they're eating breakfast or trying to get up a little bit earlier than them some days. But ultimately, I want to make sure that the thing I'm prioritizing, the thing I'm choosing, is my time with Jesus. It's hardly carrying my cross. I realize that. And I do it, frankly, because even though it goes against the pressure I feel as a parent, my spending time with Jesus, investing in the kingdom of heaven through prayer, I do ultimately believe is a more worthwhile thing to do, even than investing in my kids. Now, for everyone else, it might be something else. There'll be other things that draw you and say, this is the thing that calls on my time, my energy, on who I am. But there's a challenge from Jesus to say, the kingdom of God, this is the pearl of great price. It is the thing that is worth more than anything. So would you rather the life you currently live or the kingdom of God? Well, if it's what, makes, if it's what will make you happy and comfortable, well, that's not an easy one. Because describing the Christian life, the Apostle Paul wrote, we have become the scum of the earth. We are afflicted in every way. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote about becoming a Christian. He said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Jesus' disciples spent time in prison. They were beaten up. Some were killed. But at the same time, the Apostle Paul also writes, we exult in our tribulations. He writes, momentary light affliction He's talking about some pretty serious suffering when he says that, momentary light affliction, is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. He teaches, do not be anxious. Jesus teaches, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all, thing, all these things will be added to you. So there's these two sides to it. So if the criteria for us in making this decision is comfort and pleasure that comes with it, then again, don't choose Christianity. Don't choose the kingdom of heaven. That's not what it offers. 
We are designed to find our deepest joy and purpose in Christ and his kingdom. And following Jesus challenges us to let go of the comforts of the world so that we can grab hold of his kingdom, that which is far more valuable. Okay, so kingdom of God is naught to two currently. Uh, the third one is community. This idea of social good, um, the world around us, how we engage with that. Um, and is the kingdom of God good for the world? Is it good for the community? I hope based on what I've said so far that you've got some grasp of what a world based on the sacrificial love of Jesus might look like. Because the kingdom of God is good news for everyone. It is good news for the poor because the whole Bible reveals God's preference for those who suffer oppression. But it's also good news for the rich because it shows the way that they can be free from the clutches of greed. It's good news because it offers hope to the hopeless. I've seen the gospel lead people out of alcoholism, out of perpetual homelessness. I've seen it break cycles of destructive relationships. I've seen it give purpose to people who see life as meaningless. Like, I've seen God do some amazing things in people's lives. So yes, I believe wholeheartedly that the kingdom of God is good for the world, for the community. But again, it's not quite as simple as that. With Jesus, it's never quite as simple as that. Because he also said, do not think I came to bring peace to the world. I came not to bring peace, but a sword. Again, one of those lines that just hits you and goes, what does he mean by that? Where is he going with that? Because when Jesus paints a vision of this beautiful, fair, just, holy society with God at its center, it becomes a challenge to all of us whose lives don't reflect this. It becomes a point of contention, a point of conflict. That's what he talks about with the sword. When the way we live isn't always holy, or the way we live isn't always honest, or we don't have God at our center, this beautiful vision becomes a challenge to us. And the people who want the benefits but don't necessarily want it on Jesus' terms. They want the kingdom, but they don't want the king or to submit to his authority. So yes, I believe wholeheartedly that the kingdom of God will change the world. But it won't necessarily be in the way I want it to. It won't be on my terms. It won't be to my standards. More often than not, it will be a challenge to the world rather than a comfort. So would we rather the kingdom of God or the life we currently live? Well, frankly, all three of those doesn't look good for the kingdom of God. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, are the scales that we're using, either we just go, well, that's, that's fine. I stick with what I've got. Jesus gives that option to people. He says to them, like, you know, people, you have to weigh up this decision. This is one of the biggest decisions you ever make. And so you've got to take it seriously. But the other thing we can say is, are the scales that I'm using fit for use? Are these things, the way I've often evaluated my life and the way that I've evaluated the lives of people around me, are they actually doing the right thing for me? Are they offering the best thing I do, I need? Now, the thing about the Would You Rather game is that it's a choice. When I was trying to think of a title to save this talk under my laptop, after I went through all this, I kept coming back to, Don't Become a Christian. Now, that may not be the party line of the church, I admit. But when you weigh it up as a cost-benefit analysis, then it won't make you rich, it won't allow you to be comfortable, and it'll change the world, but not necessarily in the way you want it to. Now, maybe in America, you could make a lot of money preaching about Jesus. Maybe here in the UK, you can get by living a pretty comfortable life. But when we want to take seriously the words of Jesus, then we have to know what we're getting ourselves into by following him. Our expectation as we grow in faith is that we become poorer and less comfortable. None of that matters because Jesus is beautiful. The kingdom is glorious. And we are built to find our ultimate purpose, our contentment, our deepest satisfaction in the presence of God. And so therefore, this offer of the kingdom of God, almost everything else just can't compare. And we see that this is a pearl of great value that everything else will not compare against. 
Now, when the rich young ruler heard Jesus say, sell everything you have and give to the poor, it said he went away sad because he had great wealth. And I imagine that some of us here, including me, are feeling a little bit like that in the face of this scripture. We say we value God, we say we value social change, but our money and our comforts, they cling to us. They hang on us. It's hard to push them away. They hold us tight. We want the kingdom of God, but it is way too scary to give up the life that we currently have. But that is the beauty of the kingdom of God, because we are completely incapable of achieving it on our own terms, in our own way. It is his kingdom, and it's by his grace through his death and resurrection that we are transformed and able to participate in it. On so many levels, you cannot have the kingdom without the king, but neither would it be worth it. Now, just as everything in the kingdom of God seems to be flipped on its head, so should our response to be. Normally, the response that we read when we do anything on social media is activism. Go on, go and do something, get out there, share this, like this, do something for it. But the, res- the response that Jesus sets for us to the rest- step in joining the mission of the kingdom of God is not activism, but it's actually submission. It's simply saying to God, I accept you as king. It's saying, I want this kingdom of God. I want you as my king more than I want money, more than I want comfort, more even than my own vision for social good. That is the challenge of this, and that is the opportunity we have to respond to God. I think it would be great if we could stand. Nice to have time. If Rachel come back up and um, have a bit of time of worship again just to finish. I just want to give you a chance, a moment in silence, just to close your eyes, open up your hands. Just that's something we just do practically to say to God, "I'm, I'm, I'm up for whatever you want to do." It's nothing magical. It's just something we do to say, like, "I'm not resisting." You know, when you kind of close our arms like this, it can often be, um, it can be more affecting us. So, just open up our hands and say to God, "Come and speak to me. I want to submit to you. I want to know your vision. I want to follow your kingdom." Okay, and this is something that we do over time. We think about this stuff. We weigh this stuff up. This is not a quick decision that we suddenly go, great, I want to go follow Jesus. That sounds brilliant. It's something that is incredible and powerful and something we want to take seriously. So let's just take a moment with our eyes closed and talk to God and ask him to come and speak to you. I'm just going to pray and as I do feel free to echo the words in your own head if it's something you feel like it would be helpful for you I'm just going to pray that we that where there are things that hold us back from God that we'll be able to make that choice to go after his kingdom rather than the things that we desire and the things that cling to us if that's something you'd like to you can pray along so Father God thank you for the vision of the kingdom of God thank you for the world that you set before us and the vision that you set before us. Lord, we know we are struggling to get rid of the different um, things that cling to us. We know money can hold us, our comforts hold us, that we have our own vision for what good looks like in the world. But Lord, I pray that you help us today to take hold of the kingdom that you've created, that you as the one who's designed us and made us, has designed this world and made it, pray that we might grab hold of your kingdom and go after you. We want to submit to that, Lord God, and we ask for your forgiveness where we failed to do this in the past. And we ask for your help by your spirit in our lives through Jesus's death, life, death, and resurrection to, to go after this. Just praise all in the powerful name of Jesus Christ.
just going to continue worshiping. Um, and in that time, feel free just to have your own conversation with God. Invite him into your life. Ask him to help you where you're finding there's barriers and things that you're struggling with. Um, again, I'll be up here at the front. If you'd like prayer, just feel free to come and speak to me. And we can pray. But yeah, we're going to worship now. Sam.